G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. It's show number 157. It is an absolute epic. There is a about a 45-minute conversation that I had with Michael Kane from the TWU on last Saturday morning after the legislation, the closing the loopholes bill went through the Parliament earlier this week. It made it to the Senate and uh, it hasn't got any further than that. We're going to talk about that and why that's the case and a few other little bits and pieces. There's a few questions when we get to the tail end of the interview, which will make some prick their ears up, I'm sure. Anyway, there's that one. We've got Andy and I doing the news, a bit of abbreviated news today, even though it's still a long show. I'm going to throw in the interview that Andy did with Cass Hopetown and uh, Blake Dantier as well. Another song at the back from the Whitlam's Black Stump Band to round it out. Get yourself a bevy or set the cruise control. It's huge. Let's get this show on the road. Yes, get on with it. Well, once again, we get to welcome Michael Kane, National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, to the show. We're going to have a bit of a chat about some pressing issues for us in the road transport industry. But before we get started, Michael, can we have a quick talk about the Qantas issue? <laughs> I would love to. How are you, mate? How have you been? Let's start. Good, off. good, Mike. Good, Mike. Thanks for having me back. No, I've been well. No, I'd love to talk about Qantas because, you know, it's not that I take joy in what um, has eventually come to pass mm. with Alan Joyce, but I do take a little bit of joy from it. I've got to say, <laughs> because because it's been reprehensible for years, hasn't it? Oh, uh, there was a little bit of a happy dance in my cage, mate. I don't know about yours, but a little bit of a happy dance yeah. over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. Go on. No, I was just going to say, you know, this is. Yeah. What are, what are we seeing here with Alan Joyce? We're seeing a, a CEO that you know, came came to um, his positions from. Um, a low-cost carrier uh, in Ireland, came to Australia, set up Jetstar um, and then moved over to Qantas in 2008. Mate, when when he came over in 2008, three weeks before, um, the union had signed a three-year enterprise agreement um, uh, with Qantas. Uh, at that point in time, everyone engaged, employed by Qantas was engaged by Qantas Airlines Limited, yep. one entity. They had good secure, secure jobs. They were permanent. Um, uh, they were well paid. We we bargained for five or six um, uh, enterprise bargains up to that point. So we were we were fine with it. Mm. Three weeks after he came, he set up a new internal sham labour hire company, mm. and said, "From now on, everyone is going to be everyone who comes in new." is going to be engaged in that company. And then he set up three, four, five, six, seven more of them. And whenever terms and conditions started to build in these new sham companies, he'd set up a new one and engage new people on it. So he just created this downward spiral of terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when we built up a bit of collective strength and took a little bit of industrial action, what did he do? 
He shut down the airline. That's right. He did. He's I remember everywhere that. around the world. Remember that? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. And remember. the reason he did it, I, I just want to tell, I just want to tell everyone listening the reason he did it. The reason he shut down the airline was to inflict upon his own company the damage that he needed to put up as Exhibit One in the Fair Work Commission to show that he should that the Fair Work Commission should shut down the industrial action. So to, to, to shut down the industrial action, you've got to show that there's economic damage to the company and to the economy. So he grounds the company, his own company, to create and inflict the economic damage on the company that would allow him to run that case in the Fair Work Commission. Mm. That's the type of guy that the, the time and actions have eventually caught up with over the last little while. Mm. You know, he's a guy that, that, that now says, oh, I need to go from the company and let it have clear air as if he's taking responsibility. <laughs> and he's headed for the emergency exit with $24 million under his wing. Yeah, well, I was going to say to you, he's got a pretty good golden handshake. Uh, I've got a news article in front of me here that was written by Chantel Francis. And uh, she's saying that Qantas major superannuation investors have warned that they're a little bit unhappy as Mr. Joyce's exit comes and they've got questions. And I think there's a lot of us that have got questions. He's walked away from the top job with the $24 million, as he said, as you said, rather. But the Australian Financial Review have pointed out there are a number of issues as well. He apparently sold the vast majority of his uh, shares, 2.5 million shares in Qantas at $6.74, just before they started to go downhill after all of his revelations came to pass. And he said he needed yeah. to make a personal purchase. I wouldn't mind selling 2.5 million Qantas shares. I could make a few personal purchases with that, mate. Yeah, I know. Well, it's it, it is actually breathtaking if you if you chart out what actually happened this year. Mm. In back in May, he announces a one point five billion dollar half year profit. Mm. He's just now announced a two point five billion dollar full full year profit. But back in May, not long before he sells these shares, he announces a one point five billion dollar half year profit. Mm. Now, remember, in across those COVID years, taxpayers provided two point seven billion dollars yep. worth of community support to Qantas. Yep. Um, of course, 900 million of that were JobKeeper payments designed to keep workers connected with their jobs. But what did he do? He shoved 9,400 of them out of the door and 1,700 of them he sacked illegally. Um, so that's the guy's form. He's got um, 2.7 billion uh, in, in taxpayer funds and he announces a 1.5 billion dollar profit and of course when you announce a 1.5 billion dollar half year profit what happens to the share price mike well, it, goes it goes up and then when it goes up what do you do oh, it's a, oh i need to i need to knock the wall down and, and make a bit more of my uh, penthouse suite um, oh. in the middle of the city so i'll sell some shares don't, that's that's what's happened here it's outrageous don't start me michael it's too early <laughs> it's too early in the day mate i I'm on, I'm on record, I mean, and you know I'm on record as to how I felt about all the taxpayer support for the private businesses and things like that. Why can't they weather the storm like everyone else, like the little owner-driver that's getting screwed? We'll get to that in a minute. Mate, I'm, I'm done with done with Qantas. I hope that uh, the shareholders say to him, no, Mr. Joyce, you can't have your $24 million. And to me, that would make me smile. Uh, and me. Oh, dear. I'd make, make a lot of people smile. And I can only think of the baggage handlers and all those that lost their jobs because of this bloke. He's sitting back, and uh, I believe there was a slight cheer. A friend of mine was on an aircraft uh, when the announcement was made. 
or when someone yelled out that looks like Joyce is gone, and everyone went, oh, <laughs> so when you get that sort of reaction. Well, I think it, I think about 8.15, I think about 8.15 on Tuesday morning, mm. if, if, you'd have, if you'd have walked out the front door of any um, residence in Australia, you would have heard a cheer, wouldn't you? <laughs> Um, I mean, people are that sick of the guy and that sick of his ruthless approach. So, yeah, hopefully it heralds in a new era now and we'll all have to work on that. Well, Australia's uh, Australia's national airline couldn't once again. I, I, I don't envy the lady that's been put in charge of it, though. She's been really handed a poison chalice, I think. But anyway, so there, you go. <laughs> there you go. Now, just one other quick thing before we get stuck into this bill and the, and the ramifications of what's going on there. I've copped a little bit of a pushback personally for some things that I've had to say and I've agreed with the ATA about some of the things that they've said because they've agreed with uh, what myself and my good mate Bob McMillan uh, have been saying. Uh, There are people that have been saying to me, oh, mate, you shouldn't be agreeing with the ATA. Well, I agree with anyone when they're right, even you, Michael. So, so, you know, uh, question is, who was in the room while we were talking now? I think uh, it's been said, and I certainly agree, that the ATA have been making a bit of a meal of this whole thing. What's your take on it, mate? Because I know you were in the room. Well, look, I think the first thing um, for us all to do is just think about where we're at at the moment. Um, what was put before the parliament on Monday by the Industrial Relations Minister, Tony Burke, um, was a new um, a new bill um, which would amend the Fair Work Act in Australia, a really significant bill that does some um, really important things in relation to road transport. It sets up a framework, sets up a framework so that industry voices can lead the change that we need and the enhancements in standards that we need to make this industry sustainable. Now, we should, Mike, but I'm going to come to your question. I'm not ducking it at all. It's a really important question. But I just want to contextualise this. Yep. This is a moment in time for us. And um, the one thing that could deprive us from achieving this real change is if we're not united. If we're quibbling amongst ourselves, we will snatch defeat from the claws of victory here. Mm. And that's why we've been so, um, as the Transport Workers Union, we've been so, of course, humbled by the the experience of the RSRT. didn't work. Mm. Uh, We've spent um, the last six years together with Glenn Stirl and um, industry um, voices and operators thinking about what we need to do, what settings we need in place, what framework we need in place to be able to ensure that we can um, uh, get sustainability and viability back into the industry. Because you can't be a viable transport worker, a viable small transport business, unless the industry within which you operate is viable and sustainable. So it's all got to happen and it's all got to happen um, at once, and this framework um, gives us the capacity to do it. Now, the key thing for us in delivering this, and one of the key reasons that the government has had the confidence to put before the parliament such a significant bill, is that um, particularly over the last four years or so since the Stirl inquiry, there has been a real coming together of voices about the type of framework that we need to be able to make that change. 
And indeed, my reading of what has put, been put before the parliament is that it is a good framework. It's it's a, a, a the right framework. And I will admit to your listeners, it's much better than the RSRT because it it requires it requires industry voices uh, to. Um, identify what settings should be put in place before the Fair Work Commission can take any step at all. Yeah. Um, so that's the context, Mike. I just wanted to put that put that forward. Well, we now, can have a talk. We can have a talk about all that in a minute. I've got a yeah. few questions there myself, but yeah, let's go sure. on. Yep. Sure. So, in terms of now, how how we, how we maximise this unity? Well, let's think about what's happened. We had the Stirl inquiry. Lots of voices came together. There was. You know, an incredible uh, commonality uh, of what uh, of what those different voices were asking, um, and there's been an incredible unity amongst um, uh, lots of us across the industry, um, from Australian Road Transport Industrial Organisation, the the state um, uh, road transport uh, associations as well, VTA, QTA, Tassie, WA, um, Northern Territory have all have all been. Speaking with one voice about what these elements in the framework should be, National Road Freighters, Nat Road now as well. Um, so there's 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 a there's a real unanimity, and there has been. I have to say this: the outlier, right up until the last few weeks, the outlier in all of this has been the Australian Trucking Association. They have been sniping from the sidelines, running the political lines, the anti-RSRT political lines, rather than focusing what should be the positive agenda for the future. Mm -hmm. And they're now out there, um, much to the understandable uh, annoyance of some in the industry, they're now out there um, suggesting publicly, more than suggesting, putting out there in their, you know, their Friday facts and, their, mm -hmm. you know, the... Mm -hmm. Wherever they can get a uh, get a get a Guernsey, put uh, putting it putting it out there as if somehow the ATA is to is the agent of positive change. Well, look, let me say this about that. I am really pleased that the ATA has had a last minute road to Damascus conversion. <laughs> I am really pleased about it. Yep. But 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 don't get me don't get it. Let's not get it wrong here. The ATA until the very last few weeks. Has been fighting tooth and nail against this, and fighting tooth and nail against the interests of the industry. So, in terms of going straight to your question now, mm -hmm. given that context, I'm not going to duck your question. Mm -hmm. The the key um, voices uh, in this, clearly, the unions had a role. Um, I've I've been on your show. I've, I've said why over successive interviews yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, we talked about the RSRT and that experience and what needed to change, um, but also in there now we've got uh, and who have been in the room um, in the detailed in the detailed discussions to date are the National Road Freighters, Nat Road, uh, Australian Road Transport Industrial Organisation, bunches of the um, state organisations as well, uh, including to name a few: um, Tassie, um, Victoria, New South Wales. Um, uh, QTA, uh, Northern Territory, Western Australia, all of the as separate constituents. And of course, many of those are ATA members, but separately and carved off from the ATA, they've been putting putting their common views. This is quite a wall of consent, Yes, quite a wall of commonality. Um, and yes, we do know that the ATA has also separately had meetings with the department um, and with the minister's office and good luck to them. But it's not their agenda 
it's the industry's agenda that's moved here in spite of the ATA. We put the industry agenda forward, all of us, in the Stirl inquiry. That's what the government's acted on. Um, and there should be no under no illusions here about where this all sits. Now, that doesn't mean that what the ATA is saying about the importance of making sure we've got sustainability and um, uh, contract changes, et cetera, it doesn't mean that they're not right about that. Yep. But but claiming credit for it and suggesting that everyone else, you know, um, has just been a, a passenger in all of this is is insulting and it doesn't help what we need to get this through, which is all of us to be united about a new framework. Couldn't agree more, mate. It's been a very, very long time. We've been waiting for everyone to get in the room all on the same page uh, with the machine guns locked away and the violin cases sitting on the chairs at the back. And yeah. uh, it's been nice to see. Been a great pleasure to see. All right, we're gonna, we'll take a quick break and, and uh, hear from one of our sponsors and we'll be back to just to dig into a few of the details. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Welcome back. We're still with Michael Kane, the uh, National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union. We're going to now dig into some of the details about this bill that's been, according to some of my colleagues, shot in the head and it's about to be buried quietly. Michael tells me that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> Mate, why isn't it the case? It's, it's dead and buried, isn't it? It's gone. The crossbench have basically put a rope around it and tied it up, and that's the end of it. No, no, that's not what's happened at all. Um, the um, It's just uh, think about what has occurred. Yeah. Um, on Monday, uh, Tony Burke tabled the legislation in the lower house, yeah. the House of Representatives. Uh, the process from here, as, as all of your listeners will undoubtedly know, um, uh, but maybe for some of the younger ones that are listening, to pass legislation in uh, in uh, Australia, uh, in the Australian Parliament, uh, you have to get a bill um, passed through the lower house uh, and then passed also through the, the Senate. Um, and uh, in the lower house, uh, the ALP, the Labor Party, um, has a majority. Um, it's not a large majority, but it's a majority. Uh, and what that means is after the four weeks or so that have been laid down for the bill to be debated in the lower house, um, it's likely, uh, we never take these things for granted, but it's likely that the bill will pass the lower house and then be handed to the Senate. When that happens in our legislative process, after um, bills have been passed by the lower house and handed to the Senate, the Senate has the option, and nearly always takes it, to call uh, an inquiry into the legislation and get 
feedback and input from anyone who wishes to make a submission from right around the country, it's part of our democracy, um, about the bill, about its operation, about its wording, uh, about whether it's good or it's bad. Um, and then the committee will write a report, which it will make public. And then after that process, um, the Senate uh, will vote on whether or not to pass the legislation. In between all of that, there might be some amendments that are put forward, some changes as a result of the um, deliberations, um, and they'll be voted on as well. What happened um, with the Senate um, uh, a couple of days ago is that it decided that it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it didn't want to be rushed on when that inquiry was to report. So um, the crossbenchers, uh, you know, flexing their muscle a little bit, um, David Pocock and Jackie Lambie and Pauline Hanson, um, you know, um, who we all know, many of them uh, have really the interests of the industry at heart. You know, Lambie has, has people in the family who are in the industry. Uh, Hanson has been standing by truckies for, for a long time now. Mm. Um, so it's not as if they don't want reform. This was not about truckie reform. This was about the Senate crossbenchers flexing their muscles and saying, look, we hold the balance of power in the Senate. If you want a bill to go through the Senate, you have to get uh, one or more of our votes. Yep. Uh, and so you need to pay attention to us, and we say we need more time. And so what they've done, which is significant, but it's it's um, it's by no means um, uh, related to the substance of the bill um, or whether it goes forward. What they've said is we don't want the, the Senate inquiry, which would happen in any event, to report to have to report until the first of February. Mm -hmm. So rather than having to report on say the first of November. It said we're pushing the date for report back of first of February. That's all that's happened. Right. Now, what does that mean in terms of the implication for the time frame? Well, the 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 bill that Tony Burt put into the House um, has, in any event, said uh, because it's such a significant um, set of changes uh, that it wouldn't become operational until the first of July, twenty twenty four. Now, I know that's not what many people want to hear. It's not necessarily what I want to hear, but that's the lay of the land. That is, this is a significant legislation, significant changes. Um, people will need time to get their heads around it. Um, um, so it won't be effective in any event till the 1st of July, 2024. So while there's a delay in the committee process in the Senate, nothing else has changed. No, no. The process is underway. The substance of the bill is the same. There's been no vote on the substance of the bill at all. That won't happen until after the report on the 1st of February. And if the Senate passes it, and that's what we all have to be united about, how do we get to these crossbenchers and make our case to them that this must happen? Um, do we, you know, How many people can attend the Senate inquiry? How many people can attend convoys and make our voices heard? That's going to be critical um, so that we can get the Senate to vote it through. And if they do, it'll come into effect at precisely the same amount of time uh, as was intended in the first place. So there are, they're calling this an omnibus bill, and for those of us that don't understand what that means, that means a multiple of changes which have gone through in, in one bill. Uh, with respect to this, I can see that there are about 12 changes that we're looking at to industrial relations. Uh, transport is only one of those. Um, I, my question would be is how come 
this is something that's so important. I know Glenn and I have spoken about this. You and I have spoken about this. We as an industry have been speaking about it, like, as you've said, since we put our submissions into to Glenn's inquiry. How come we've ended up in this situation where one of the most significant changes to one of the most significant industries in this country is wrapped up with all the rest of it? Why aren't we out there on our own doing this? One bill there, t- there are two key reasons, mm. and they're really, they're really important reasons that I think everyone needs to think through. Right. Um, and they're, com- they're compelling reasons. Okay. The first is this, that, um, that the transport industry now needs reform. We know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that we need to ensure that those um, who head up and get the commercial benefit out of contract chains you know, the retailers, the suppliers, the manufacturers, et cetera. We know they have to be held to account. We know they have to have better commercial practices so that we can get better outcomes further down the chain. Yep. All of those things are important. All of those things are in the transport element of the bill. But the other element that is so groundbreaking about this um, bill and one which means it must interact with other sections of the bill is that there's another set of pressures that have formed on the transport industry that um, are increasing its um, unviability and lack of sustainability, and that is the increasing incursion of the gig economy. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the gig and the platform economy, uh, we, we're somewhat familiar with it in, in transport, but we have a, a new dynamic now. We have the Amazon flexes and the Uber freights of this world coming in, setting up platforms and allowing anyone to come in and bid at the lowest rate uh, for work. And they're doing it by getting a massive competitive advantage, um, not being accountable, uh, not having any oversight. Uh, and these changes need to be put through as well. So at the very least, we would need um, these uh, gig economy changes, which have formed a significant part of um, the Act as well, um, to be in place at the same time. But there's another tactical reason that uh, and it's an important tactical really even more a strategic reason why um, it makes sense for this to be all part of the one um, journey your listeners may have noticed mike that um, the genuine industry voices your voice um, the voices that we've just spoken about previously the genuine industry voices it may have some differences in detail and we'll work through that over the next few months. But in terms of the need for reform and the, the type of reform that's required, we're on a unity ticket. Yep. The same can't be said for those ideological employer industry groups like the Australian Industry Group, like the Australian Chamber of Commerce, like the Business Council of Australia that are not genuine transport industry voices. Um, these groups, if we were to put up only a transport bill and try and get it through the parliament, would be able to train all of their resources on us to um, defeat that bill. Mm. And now what they're faced with is an omnibus bill. There are many other elements of the bill that those ideologues do not like. Mm. And I would say that they... Uh, that transport is kind of down the bottom of the list in terms of what they don't like in the bill. And so um, the, 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 the guns are not trained on us and our matters 
in, to the same extent as they would be. Well, it would be a very, very difficult uphill battle for us to have a standalone piece of transport legislation and be able to get it through. Um, so that's the strategic reason. So there are two really good reasons. One, one we need other we need other things to be connected with it. And secondly, strategically, um, in a parliamentary sense, it's the smartest thing to do. Well, they're firing their guns anyway. Uh, five of the shots they're fired are the compliance cost of the business will increase, which, you know, there you go. Um, they're telling us to make friends with good industrial relations lawyers because we're going to need them because there's going to be that many changes that no one's going to know where they're going. Uh, they're saying road transport workers and digital labour hire platform workers or employee-like workers already have extensive minimum standards and protections from unfair termination and deactivation, so basically why do anything? Uh, they're talking about the unions are going to be back on the centre stage. Mate, they're scared of you being able to walk in and have a look and see if people are getting ripped off. And they're saying labour costs are going to increase almost overnight, so all of our grocery bills and everything are going to go up. Michaelia Cash is quite happy because she wrecked the RSRT in the first place. Um, what's her name? Uh, I can't think of the name of that teal independent. What's her? Oh, Allegra Spender uh, said it's 278 pages. It's far too complicated. Um, you know, everyone's out crying and saying that they... These are people, these senators are on base salaries of $220,000 a year and they're saying people that, are like, that work their ass off aren't entitled to a fair recognition and change, mate. I'm a little bit upset with the whole thing, to be honest with you. Yeah, 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 that, that's exactly right. But but you know what? We shouldn't get up. We, well, we say we shouldn't because I feel the same way as you. But um, I guess I'm trying to <laughs> I guess I'm trying to de-escalate our emotions in it because... Oh, I'm allowed it, to be it, emotional. It's expected of me. <laughs> no, we all, and we all are, yeah. and that's the thing. The question, is, the question for us is... Um, is any of that? Um, it's a bit. It's a bit like knock me over with a feather. Yeah. Um, you know, strike me down with unsurprise. I yeah. mean, it's so predictable. Mm. Um, but, uh, and that's not to say it's not annoying. It's yeah. just predictable. Yeah. The question for us is, of of the points you've read out, which of them do we believe? Mm. None of them. Mm. Which of them are actually gen genuine uh, criticisms that uh, that that can be levelled? Actually, none of them. I'm happy to. So at some other point, maybe in another show, to go through all of those criticisms. But yeah. the point is this. We knew they were coming, yep. and they're coming from the, the voices that are not from the industry. Mm. If we stay strong together, we will win this. But it is no trifle to get a, um, a set of provisions, a new bill, a new set of legislation up in the federal parliament. Like People, people will come at it from different angles. Of course the crossbenchers are going to try and get their day in the sun. Of course... Of course, um, uh, the opposition, um, as they are at the moment, the coalition will will make political hay with it because that's our system. And, it, you know, it's not a perfect system, but it's actually part of the accountability. Mm. It shows that if eventually we get to the point, and I'm going to say when we get to the point, Mike, yep. of the Senate voting in favour of this, it's been through the most robust debate publicly and in the parliamentary sense, and it's through and it's in and it means we 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 we've got what we need before us. And it's not for the faint-hearted, but also it's not um, for a team who's fighting for it to be divided. Mm. So one thing I will continue to say is that if people have um, genuine concerns about this, as they should, um, 
let's think about whether they what what those concerns are. Let's not tear down our unity before we even get to the to the finish line. Mm. Um, and um, you know, I think when we go through as we are, I think we're just about to do now go through some of the details of what this framework looks like. I think people will see that it's it, it's potentially so valuable. We have to say unified. Well. There are a lot of us from all sides of, the, of transport, all sides of the political spectrum too, I must say, uh, that are involved in transport who agree that this is the first time we have seen so much uni- unity in the industry. We've decided that we can put aside the things that we don't want to agree on for the moment and deal with the things that we do need to agree on. Mate, we've been talking for 30 minutes basically and I'm mindful of the fact that it's you know, a, a day where... You and I both have other things to do. I'd love to go on some more and talk about some of the detail, but uh, I understand if you want to go. So I'd, I, at this point, we we could go and come back another time, or we can keep going for another you know, ten minutes or so, whichever you prefer. I think it'd be useful for your listeners to hear the broad brush of the framework, right. um, and I can go through that, right. and then yep. and then they've got something in their minds to think about. Yep, that'd be fine, and we'll come back, obviously over the course of what's going on and talk about the, the, the lobbying efforts and maybe give some people some information on where they can go and they can have their say to their local senator or the senator or their local member or whatever and maybe make a difference in it. So Absolutely. So let's go, yeah. mate. You just give us a broad brush on what, what, what the story is as far as you're uh, aware. Yeah, well, look, what's been put before the parliament is really important for road transport. The key thing about it, the key thing about it is that um, the centre of the system uh, is a, an advisory capacity. It's built into the Act. Yep. Um, so there, there, there's, a, there, there's a requirement in the Act for subcommittees, um, an advisory group uh, and subcommittees to be formed to talk about what standards uh, should be put in place and what they should look like. So the, so and, the formation and, of the, the minimum standards and what they will be? Yeah, the, for, the the formation of the minute. Well, no, even pre-formation. Right. You know, the 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 group will get together and say, what are the priorities that we need to attack first? Because mm. you can't do it all at once. Of course. I mean, we'd love to, but you can't do it all at once. Um, what are the priorities we need to attack? And then once we've decided what that priority list is as a group, then we can hive ourselves off into expert subcommittees, and we get the call on all of that. Um, hive ourselves off into separate subcommittees and um, uh, bring in whatever expertise is necessary. Industry voices, yes. Um, uh, participants in the industry, yes. We may decide as a group that we need um, some research done. We might need some um, some special dollars to be applied to, to to make sure we get the recipe right. And then, and then um, that that advisory um, section uh, of the new provisions. They give that advice to the Fair Work Commission. The Fair Work Commission um, then has a bench, which is a transport panel. It's dedicated to transport um, issues only, and it has to be um, has to have personnel in there. This is where we make sure we get it right from last time. Um, not mentioning any names, do has to have people on there that have, have to have people on there that have. Um, either experience in or, um, you know, special um, knowledge about the industry itself because you recall last time the problems we had trying to get our people, and I'm going to say it, um, the president, to listen to what we had to say. Um, so um, 
Sorry, so we've got, and, and they can't act, yeah. and, and the Fair Work Commission cannot act. Yeah. It can't do anything about standards until it's taken that advice. Right, eh? So, so the advisory the advisory stream decides what's going to be attacked. It then gives advice to the Fair Work Commission on how it's to be attacked. It can draw on resources to do that. It can bring in anyone it wants to from the industry in terms of expert voices to do that. And the Fair Work Commission cannot act until that's in place. Right. Then, then even when the Fair Work Commission says, yes, these are what the standards should be, there's, a, in a sense, a testing period of time to test the provisions um, before they before they become um, enforceable standards. Um, so there's a whole range of um, different atmospheric and and safeguards that are built in are built into this system. Now the other really important part about the system, it, and this is this is a world first uh, really, uh, and, and and something really worth fighting for, is that everyone knows that. Um, as I said at the outset, if we're going to have sustainable drivers, sustainable businesses, sustainable owner drivers um, in the industry, we have to have a sustainable industry. That means there's got to be enough money money flowing down contract chains. Yep. It means that the sharp contractual practices and elongated payment times and penalties and, uh, that um, that uh, these customers impose to squeeze um, the viability of the industry, those things need to be able to be attacked. And the bill um, sets out um, contract chain powers. The bill sets out that that the, the, through the advisory process and then the Fair Work Commission, we'll be able to make contract chain determinations to impose obligations and set standards on those that are squeezing us. Yeah, well, now, this is the most important thing, Mike, and if there's anything worth all of us, and we'll go to the bit more detail if you want now or in a later show, if there's anything worth fighting for, it's this, because it can change our industry. It has us in control at the centre of this regulatory universe, um, and it's a one-shot-in-the-locker moment in time for us that we really need to fight for and be unified to fight for. I, I agree with all of that, and I understand exactly what you're saying. There are, are a number of voices that come to me and say, well, mate, anything that doesn't mention getting rid of uh, cents per kilometre payments for drivers isn't worth talking about. Um, and the requirements for that to happen means that there are a lot of other things that have to happen as well. Uh, we're talking about setting of minimum standards and giving drivers uh, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work, etc. And I'm speaking particularly in interest of long-distance truck drivers here who move the national, the nation's freight over such vast distances and spend hours and hours and hours away from home, uh, etc. And it's a special interest to me because, after all, I am one. But are things like getting rid of cents per K rates and replacing them with hourly rates, are they the sort of things that could be set as a minimum standard? There's no, there's very, when I say there's no, there are very few limitations mm. on what could be put in place as a minimum standards. There's no limitations on, on rates and rate structures. But the key thing that we learned from the RSRT, all of us, mm. is that, is that it's not, it's not really the rates. There, there, there may need to be changes to, to, 
how much people are paid or, or, you know, of course. And we've got to make sure there's appropriate cost recovery for businesses, well, that's the uh, issue. transport businesses and owner-drivers. Of course we do. Mm. But we need to make sure, unlike the RSRT, that the Fair Work Commission can't act on those unless it's balancing out all the interests across the industry. Otherwise, you put one one category out of whack with another, like the, the RSRO um, yeah. uh, was going to do, yeah. and then that's disastrous. So yeah. there's express prohibitions in this new legislation against um, putting in place the type of um, standalone approach that that RSRO did. Right, the Fair Work Commission has to balance out all of these issues. But going to your question, because I'm not ducking it, mm. going to your question, um, and this this is a little bit about a little bit where we started the first time I came on. We were talking about Trevor Warner's um, absolutely meritorious desire to deal with um, slabs of unpaid waiting time. Yep. Whether it's unpaid waiting time, whether it's rate structures, whether it's the level that people are paid, we can we can theorise about those things until the cows come home. Mm. But until we, and this legislation gives us the power to do it, until we can force those who are reaping the economic benefit, the customers, to actually pay mm. for them, mm. then, then we're not going to get the right outcome. So first port of call will be, Let's get rid of your elongated payment times. Let's make sure enough money is flowing down the contract chains to make sure that um, that any changes we make in the future to rates or rate structures or cost recovery, et cetera, can actually be paid. Otherwise, we're just kidding ourselves. Yep. Um, and that's why this is so powerful because we've got the structure and the powers to do it if we get this passed in the form it's in. And oh, it's really worth really yeah. it. Oh, look, I agree, mate. There are a number of things. We've got to get our ducks in a row. And I, we, yeah, we've got to get this thing over the line first and then form the committees and do the work. And it's going to take time. I, I, I think that, you know, I've heard a number of conversations from a number of different people, uh, all with the belief of what they think is most important. Um, I mean, I've obviously got my point of view about what's most important for me. It's, uh, it's getting everyone a fair go. Uh, and it doesn't matter what section of the industry you're working. I think the bloke that's delivering the pizza uh, deserves as much as a fair go as the bloke that's driving the triple road train in the territory. And, and uh, you know, even though I sound like I'm a bit of a lefty here at the moment, I think it's what it's all about. We, we, you know, everyone who works deserves to have a fair day's work for uh, and a fair day's pay for that fair day's work. And uh, you know, uh, Mike, you're not, you, you don't sound like a lefty. You know what you sound like. I'll tell you what it is. What? You sound like an economic rationalist, and I'll tell you why. Because um, this is a market that's broken. Mm, absolutely. That we, the union, the, the TWU in particular has been a union that's supported strong, robust competition in transport since we were formed. Mm. But you can't have competition that is cannibalistic. You can't have competition that's destructive. And what does that mean? It means that you're requiring companies and workers to bid for work at below cost recovery, at below the levels at which they need to run a viable business. Mm. That's what our industry is rife with. Yep. And that means we are eating ourselves up. That is a market that's broken. Mm. So what these changes do, far from being lefty changes, mm. these changes actually are uh, conservative economic rational changes that reset the market and ensure that the market is working in the way that markets are intended to work, which is you have competition, 
which is above cost recovery, which is done on the basis of skill, entrepreneurial endeavour, efficiency, but not not at the cost of people having to run businesses which are unviable. So this is actually this is actually a reset for the market. People people don't have to twist themselves um, into an ideological frame to support it. But if they want to, they should be really confident. If they're a conservative voter, for example, or a coalition voter naturally, you should be really confident that what you're doing here is true to that, that you're making sure that contracts are fair, that you're making sure that there's an equality of bargaining power and that the market is sustainable. And that's what any good right-wing economic rationalist would do. And it just so happens that it's what workers want as well. Yeah, well, you've only got to look at Scott's Refrigerated as a case study of what happens when you've got elongated payment times, a little bit of uh, uh, probably say poor management and uh, working under the cost recovery. It just doesn't matter how big you are, sooner or later, if you're an elephant, you can be eaten one bite at a time and that's what happened to Scott's. You know? Exactly. Anyway, exactly. mate, I suppose, look, we really should wrap it up. I've had you for 45 minutes and uh, just for those who are listening, and I said this is going to go out un- unedited, have a look at how long you've been listening to. We haven't added or cut out a thing. Uh, Michael hasn't ducked a question, and I welcome him back on the show anytime he cares to come, mate. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks, Mike. It's much appreciated. Let's, let's get this done together, yeah? yeah. Let's let's have unity, unity and not division because that's what's going to make this through. There's, there are enemies out there, ideological enemies, yep. and we've got to show united, genuine support. So thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity, mate. Mate, look, and I, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much for doing it with me. Thanks, Mike. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On The Road podcasts every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking With Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. G'day, it's Andy here with another in our series, Spotlighting Aussie Music Artists. This week, our guests really need no introduction. We've talked to them both individually in past episodes, but a lot has happened since we had those chats. Back then, they were collectively what their publicists referred to as the most adorable couple ever. Now they've gotten themselves married and a few months ago welcomed their new baby girl into the family as well. On top of that, they're both still powering on with their individual artistic endeavours, as well as having just released their brand new and long-anticipated duet single titled Some Things Never Get Old. To coincide with the single release, they've recorded a music video to accompany the track, which is brilliantly recorded on an iPhone, capturing their wedding and UK honeymoon and it totally shows the essence of who they really are. They're each individually dynamite writers and performers in their own right, and they also happen to be two of the nicest people I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing. Here they are, Australia's answer to Sonny and Cher, Ike and Tina Turner, Dolly Parton and whoever it is she's married to. It's our very own Cass Hopeton and Blake Dantier. Cass and Blake, it's a double whammy. I get to talk to both of you at the same time. Welcome back to On The Road. Hey, hey. thanks for having us. I've been looking forward to it. Now, I referred to you guys in the intro as the Aussie answer to Sonny and Cher, Ike and Tina. <laughs> and, of course, we all know that you're nothing at all like them. But there is that moustache thing going on. Uh, Blake's, I mean, <laughs> Cass, not you. <laughs> 
Yeah, not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. <laughs> Since we last spoke, you've been very busy, clearly. Gone and gotten married, welcomed a new baby girl to the family. Congratulations on all that. Thank you very much. Yeah, busy in a, a very different way. <laughs> well, let's forget about the new single for the moment. I want to hear all about the wedding and the honeymoon. Well, we don't need to know all about the honeymoon, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and, and most of all, your beautiful little baby daughter. And we actually got married twice. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, having done it, I probably wouldn't recommend it. The, <laughs> the first time we got married, we eloped, and that was great because, you know, all the COVID stuff, we'd been wanting to do it earlier yeah, and just couldn't. And then finally we're just like, let's just have something really small. We had about six friends there. Mm. But probably where we went wrong is we decided we wouldn't tell our families that we had, we had done it. Oh, okay. Because they really wanted to have the big party. They wanted to have, you know, the traditional wedding. Yeah. But we had to put that off for like another year still. So we were like, oh, let's just do the elopement. We won't tell them so they won't get upset and then we'll do the big party at the end of the year. And <laughs> They found out. Yeah. <laughs> most people took it well. They didn't find out. We managed to keep it a secret. Yeah. They all found out at the ceremony of the second wedding. Okay. <laughs> they were told this I is think it uh, went very well. first wedding anniversary. <laughs> oh, okay. I think people loved it. They loved oh, the surprise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, some family members didn't take it as well as others. But, yeah, for the most part, people, people liked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone's entitled to a dress rehearsal. Yeah, exactly. Get the nerves out of the way yeah. and then wait a whole year and then you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then we kind of had our honeymoon after the second wedding. We went over to Europe. It was really cold. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend going in winter. <laughs> Cass was six, six months, months pregnant. pregnant. <laughs> right. But still like a great adventure. From that in January, the Tamworth Country Music Festival was on. Yep. And then we just were waiting until our daughter arrived. Yeah. And she's five months old this week. So... Yeah, a bit of a whirlwind. And I've heard her there in the background. She's not quite coming forward. She's a, a singer for the future. Oh, uh, she's got lungs in her. <laughs> okay. She's trying to keep up with the dog by the sound of it in the background. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we've all been expecting and waiting for a duet from you two, and here it is at last. Some things never get old. Tell us a story behind the song. It was a song that writing-wise I probably had sitting around in notes on my phone for a couple of years. And right. I was just sort of thinking about, you know, finishing it <laughs> and we knew we wanted to do this duet mm. and people had said you know when are you going to do a duet for years we kind of thought yeah you know we'll, we'll do one one day but we didn't know when and we didn't know how and I think the how was a big part because my music is a bit more on the traditional you know 90s countryside whereas yeah Cass's music is a lot more on the contemporary side and it was sort of like how do we meet in the middle do we even meet in the middle or do we find something new entirely and and, you know, then when this song was finished, it was like, this is the one, this is the duet. So to kind of help us find that sound, we went to Simon Johnson. He recorded my album. Yep. Exactly. We actually started it in 2020. Which, sorry to butt in, but I've got to tell you, I'm still playing to death, mate. I love that album. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm still playing it. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I love it too. Yeah. And that's why I was like, let's go back to Simon because I think he did an awesome job with that album. Yeah. So we tracked it there with him, but then we sent it to Matt Fell, who produced all of Cass's stuff. Mm. And we sent it to Matt to mix it. And so we kind of got both these guys putting their own influence onto this song, along with you know everything we were bringing to it. And it, it really created this sound that I think is different to anything either of us had brought out before. Yeah. 
I'm just thinking on what you were saying there about your more traditional approach and Cass is more up to the minute sort of sound. And have you ever thought of doing a rehash of I'm a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I am kidding. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to do a whole duets album now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's write that one down out of the pile. <laughs> well, I was going to ask that. Is that a possibility? I think, because people are already asking, like, are you going to do another duet? I'm like, settle down. (laughs) We finally got this one down. Yeah, let's not overdo it. Yeah, but I think it's inevitable because the way that our life works, like we live together, write together. I think there'll be more duets. It's just deciding how big a project that will be. Yeah, very cool. And you've released a video clip for the song that's just awesome. It's so organic. It's so natural. It's so not contrived, which is lovely these days. (laughs) And they tell me it was all recorded on an iPhone. Yeah, it's all iPhone. It's some GoPro as well. Uh, it's just yeah. our life, really. So whatever we had on us. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that footage is from that honeymoon in. Uh, yeah, well, that's right. And we we went to a couple of other places as well. We went to Paris and we went to Bruges. Have you seen the movie In Bruges? I can't say I have. Oh, you got, I mean, you got to watch it. Everyone else on the road has got to watch it. Okay. Oh well, you know, it's not for everyone. Pretty much the movie talks about how boring Bruges is for like an hour and a half. And then Blake's like, we got to go to Bruges. So we went to Bruges. There's a lot of really great beer drinking scenes because the beers in Belgium are some real top-notch stuff. So oh, for sure. That was the reason we went. And was it as boring as they said? Well, when you're six months pregnant, uh, the beer didn't really appeal to me. Right. No, I really loved it though. It was like classic, like cobblestone streets. Oh, nice. It was Christmas time and they just, they love like the Christmas markets and Christmas shops. Mm. So it was really cute, really cute town. Yeah. And was it always how you'd planned to record the video or was it a sudden kind of, hey, you know what would be cool kind of thing? Well, budget had a lot to do with the decision. <laughs> I think we had ideas, but then we thought, you know, this song, it's a love song. We've just gotten married had a honeymoon it kind of makes sense just to use kind of like get to know us as a couple through the video really yeah and it works too it really works a question i've got to ask it's kind of the elephant in the room the uh, blue safari suit blake (laughs) you've always been a fashion trendsetter i know but you really outdid yourself (laughs) this time I've got a feeling there's going to be a rush on safari suits at Lowe's coming up, you know. <laughs> I really love that suit. It's you. It's like the high-waisted pants and the flares. And the, yeah. the, how weird safari jackets are anyway. <laughs> there was a really great story with that where you were wearing that at something else after we'd eloped and then my mum was like, we were talking about like what he was going to wear to the wedding because she didn't know he'd already gotten married. Yeah. She was like, well, oh, don't wear that safari suit as long as you don't wear that. And then we were like, oh, yeah, that would be so embarrassing. <laughs> so, of course, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> uh... You got to do these things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a great video, guys. Totally enjoy it and really recommend it to the listeners. Have a look at the video for the new song, Some Things Never Get Old. It's really worth a listen. And as Cass said before, it does really show who they are. It shows the real people behind the smiling faces. Yeah, it's nice. Guys, what's locked into your diaries from a live performance point of view over the rest of the year? Well, we get to take to the high seas. Oh, you're on the cruise. The cruise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had to get Sophia, our daughter, a passport because the ship goes to New Caledonia, so apparently you need a passport. Yeah. So we're all going on an adventure all together. So it'll be fun. <laughs> so her first words might be in French. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> that cruise would be something to be on. I think from the point of view of the passengers on the cruise, it'll be great, but 
for all you guys, it's going to be one giant country music artist party, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's going to be yeah. a bit of a party. I mean, obviously we're working. There's shows on. <laughs> yeah, that's work, yeah. There's definitely more time where shows aren't on for us than yeah. Yeah. this time that shows are on. For sure. Guys, can you hit us up once again with the appropriate websites and social media addresses so that we can keep an eye on what you're both up to? Of course. So you can check me out at cashopeton.com.au and then just Cass Hopeton on the socials. Yep. Same thing for me. I'm Blake Dontier.com.au. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're on Cass Hope then as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we thought it'd just be easier to combine everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't need my own identity anymore. No, well, who does? Well, that's what yeah. marriage is all about, isn't it? Really? Yep. 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 <laughs> Folks, our wonderful guests this week have been Cass Hopeton and Blake Dant here. I could sit here and chat with them for hours, but alas, unlike me, they both have real jobs and a life, and I should let them get on with it. Cass and Blake, thanks heaps for coming out to play on the road with us again. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks. Well, it's time for me to play your brand new single. Can I get you to introduce it for us, please? Absolutely. I'm Blake Dantier. I'm Cass Hopeton. And this is our new single, Some Things Never Get Up. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. Blockbuster on a Friday. Pac-Man on a flip phone. Some things in this world, they come and go. Jacket and Levi's Ain't been cool in a while But what we got Don't go out of style Been loving that smile Since the first date Take out in a tailgate Still hits like the first time Every time we do it Memories like that Make the bad ones worth it Long as you're in the picture It's damn near perfect Been loving that smile since the first date Take out in a tailgate Still hits like the first time Every time we do it Stars light up 
G'day, mate. How are you? Doing all right. Anything spectacular happened in your world since last week? Well, I've been signed off, mate. I'm back beyond the wheel full-time, back in the saddle, driving a big Western Star. Now I'm out of the Daffodine and uh, be running around, yeah. So it's been a little a bit... A Western Star? A Western Star, yeah. No big Kenworth for me at the moment. Oh, dear. Are they going to rectify that? I don't know, mate. I, I, I don't pay the bills. Do I need to write to someone and... Well, Make a phone call. I'm, I'm thinking about a little bit of uh, industrial uh, representation. I get my mate Michael Kane to go down there and state my case. What do you reckon? That'll sort it. That'll sort it. Tell you what, cracking interview we've just had with him about the uh, industrial relations and reform bills that went through the parliament uh, this week and got put on hold until February. Bit, yep. of, bit of news that we're not going to talk about today, but I'll tell you what, it's momentous. And yeah. uh, nothing you or I can add to that at the moment could add any more than what Michael has. But, yeah, yeah what a enough. state of affairs. Is there anything else we're not going to talk about? Uh, we're not going to talk about Fuso delivering the goods because apparently they have. Mm. Uh, Narva's unveiled a new LED accessory. That's the light that actually blinds people at five kilometres instead of just the two that we're used to. Mm. Um, Volvo celebrating 30 years of the Volvo FH. Good uh, we're not talking about that. Mining's future with the Volvo trucks. They're the ones that drive around on their own now, apparently. They've, apparently they've got okay. that sort of... I don't want to talk about that. That is scary stuff. No. Let's uh, not. The new solar scanny is soaking up the sun. We're not going to look at that either. You should see this thing, mate. Bloody solar panels all over it. It's in Europe. It's not here yet. It, uh, I just wonder about the reflections. They go on about naked ladies. Good God, that thing had just blind you from five miles, I think. Yeah. And uh, Asuzu are reaching for the sky, so someone's held them up. So yeah. wasn't you, was it? Was it you? Not me, mate. No, no, uh, innocent. No, no. And of course, we've got the uh, the Kenworth Classic coming up next weekend. Look out for that. But we're not going to talk about that today. Just the fact that it's happening. Save the date next Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Clarendon, which is uh, near Richmond Air Base in New South Wales for the Kenworth Classic, mate. There you go. That's the stuff mm. we're not talking about today. Good. Eh? Well, you've just invented a, a new micism, mate. What's that? We're not going to look at it. You should see it. <laughs> there you go. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Hey, listen, mate. As you know, my dear old dad's getting on. Yes, I do. Celebrated his 102nd birthday last week. Wow, really? We did, indeed. We had a big turnout. All the residents of his retirement village turned out to help celebrate the day. It was good. It was really good. Right. There's one particular old chap who Dad has become pretty good mates with who was sitting beside him at the party. And yep. 
Poor old fella has very little short-term memory. I can relate to that. <laughs> he kind of lives in his own little world, so I, I always try to cheer him up with a little chat when I go in to visit. So right. I said to him, great party, mate. He said, yeah, sure is. We're all having a wonderful time. Yeah. So I asked him, well, we always enjoy catching up with you each week. Do, do you remember my name? Yep. And Dad leaned over and whispered, mate, he won't remember his memory shot. Yeah. Anyway, quick as a flash, the old boy said, of course I do. Your name's Andy and you're Ted's son. Yeah. So Dad and I were actually quite blown away by that. So to help him feel better about his memory thing, I said, well, that's great. You're absolutely right. But, you know, I've got a terrible memory myself. Can you tell me your name again, please? <laughs> yeah. And he just sat there and stared at me blankly for about a minute and said, uh, how soon do you need to know? <laughs> Let me get back to you on that one. <laughs> So we were doing well there for a while. Mm. Mm. Why are we laughing at that? That's terrible. Well, I don't know about you, but I can relate. I can. No, totally no, it's relate. true. It's true. I, sometimes I struggle to remember why why I'm in the room I'm in, but you know, that's that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Can I get back to you on that? Is one of my most common answers to many things. I, I know you've said it to me before. Can yeah. I get back to you on that? Which yeah. means that. You don't know. Got no idea. <laughs> Haven't got a clue. Got nothing. Yep. Yep. Mike, kicking off an independent review has been ordered in Queensland after more than 1,800 drivers have been incorrectly hit with mobile phone and seatbelt camera fines, copping double demerits in the process. Oh, yeah. Isn't it just wonderful how we just enforce the law uh, with the long arm of the, uh, of the camera? Isn't it wonderful? The long arm of the camera, yes. The long arm, well, it's not the long arm of the law now, it's the long arm of the camera. Another mm. micism for you. No seatbelts attached. No seatbelts attached, that's right. Apparently they've identified, uh, during an analysis of offences, they identified that the system was, was, was not working correctly, but they've immediately rectified it, apparently. Uh, mm. Doesn't matter that people's licences were suspended incorrectly, doesn't matter that People are now having to serve good behaviour periods to get their licence back. Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that anyone's been inconvenienced and actually got to go and fight about this stuff that's wrong. Acceptable collateral damage, mate. That's right. It's acceptable collateral damage, and and the transport minister, Mr. Mark Bailey, says, "Oh well, simply put, it should never have happened, and I'm very, very sorry for every person that's been impacted by this, mate. If you had enough policemen on the road." and the law was enforced properly, you didn't rely on these bloody cameras and things like that, you wouldn't have a problem, would you? You wouldn't be apologising to everyone. You, anyway. Well, he did say he was sorry, so that's something, I guess. That, well, that, that makes look, it okay. That, that does make some... Oh, I, look, I know <laughs> I feel deeply gratified that your uh, transport minister in Queensland, sorry for ruining people's day. You know, mm. Mm. Un Unbelievable. Dedicated hotline has been established for drivers who believe they may have been impacted uh, by this error, and they're encouraged to get in touch, 1-800-740-786, 1-800-740-786, where you'll go on hold until your problem is uh, not as serious as you thought it was and you hang up anyway, or expect that's the way it'll work. I could be wrong. Or you've died of old age. That's that's right. Mm. Uh, of course, the LNP have seized upon the revelation uh, Deputy Leader Jared, I can't pronounce his last name, 
can you pronounce his last? Do you even know who, you, who your opposition leader is in the Queensland? Do you? Is he not the deputy? No, no. Is he? Is he? Is he like a like a, just a figure eleven target in the in the in the distance? Is he? Quite possibly. Anyway, um, mm. he basically said to Mark Bale, "He's just another stuff up yet again, and mm. you know this will cost Queenslanders yet again." Of course, he's 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 correct uh, yes. in that they do know how to stuff up, don't they? So. $1.5 million road safety campaign focusing on wearing seatbelts featuring graphic dramatizations of crashes, uh, warning drivers risks, uh, risk over $1,100 fines and four demerit points, blah, 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 blah. They expect everyone else to comply with the law, but they can't enforce it correctly, and this is what happens. Mate, these people shouldn't be in charge of a chook raffle. There you go. Yeah, well, that's a fair call. Mm. All right. Yeah. Well done, Queensland. Yes. Beautiful one day. Perfect. The next. <clears throat> <laughs> remember the remember just be, just just remember the thing we had with the signs that were in the wrong place. Remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And they were directing people to go the wrong way. Yeah. I just it's just par for the course, isn't it? Anyway, let's go, mate. Next one. <laughs> That's the Queensland sense of humour. Mike, work is well underway on the new Fitzroy River Bridge deck in WA with all seven of its new piers now in place with construction to continue through the upcoming wet season. Yeah, well, good luck with that because mm. the water will be running through the edges. I hope they've got it sorted out because uh, those piers are going to have to uh, stand up to a little bit of water pressure. It looks, they, they look very, very like hydrodynamic. Someone's probably done a little bit of research on that, we hope. You'd hope so. Uh, you'd, mm. you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Mm. Long time. It's it's been a long time coming. They're uh, they're building their spans and sort of uh, pushing them out. They hope to have the thing finished fairly quickly. Uh, it's going to be vital in the upcoming wet season. Of course, this bridge is only one aspect of the transport infrastructure that's totally, totally uh, damaged and destroyed up there in places. Uh, the WA Transport Minister Rita Sofioti uh, explained the project has now reached the stage where critical substructure works in the river channel are complete mm. and uh, should significantly minimise the impact of rising river levels, allowing the project to continue during the wet season. Yep. Well, the bridge not, might not be the issue during the wet season. It might be all the other road infrastructure that gets affected that stops the work being done. Mm. I love the way we have a look through the rose-coloured glasses and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, perhaps some of those big mining companies that are taking such huge profits out of Western Australia should devote some of their resources to some of the things that they use. I know I'm probably preaching to the converted on that one. Yeah, just but, a bit. Uh, yeah. Mm. Seven steel and concrete piers provide the structural support for the deck. Uh, prefabricated concrete shells uh, were completed in 49 days, an average one pier every seven days. That's not a bad effort. Yeah. Of course, if you look at the way the Japanese deal with things, they can fix fallen freeways in days. But anyway, it's mm. mate, it could almost be one of those cases of you know they have the big wet and the bridge will be standing proud and true and firm, and everything else will be gone. That's right. <laughs> That's what I mean. Bit like the old thing of going to the dentist and saying, "Listen, your teeth are fine, but your gums have got to go." Yeah. 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 I, I like I like the fact that they've included the local students. So they've put a little bit of artwork on the side of the 
the uh, the bridge deck and everything. I mean, okay, right. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> I wonder. Send, send the kids out there with spray cans and away you go, kids. Enjoy. Yeah, I don't know. Try not to sniff it while they're spraying it. Oh, oh, oh no, you can't say that. Jesus. <laughs> well, you know. Jeez. Oh. Anyway. Multiple fire brigade units from the Riverina were rushed to a huge fire at Kulak in New South Wales during the week, with fire investigators now brought in to determine the cause of the blaze. Words out that Kulak's hot, mate. Kulak was hot. Not the checking pad, though. It was oh, the okay. servo. Ah, it was the right. servo that was hot, mate. Okay. Of course, there are some fellas that wouldn't have minded if the building at the Kulak checking station got a little bit warm as well. But anyway, mm. a little bit bit far for the sparks and embers to travel to get that one mate uh if you look at the photos of this place burning i actually drove past it in the daylight uh the only the other day Mm. and the whole thing's collapsed it's totally gone basically all that's left is the is the pumps okay I don't, I don't know about this roadhouse. There, there's been some rumours about the nature of the fire and obviously we'll have to wait for the uh, investigations to take their course. Yep. This was one of these roadhouses that was built. It's absolutely huge. And uh, I think it was built to a price. The parking area out the back, the cement and everything around the back where the, you drove around was like driving on the moon. It was ridiculous. The quality of the workmanship was terrible. Yeah. There's been a suggestion made that this fire could be a little bit suspicious, um, but we'll see. We'll see. I suppose down the track we'll find out. I, I I sort of have a bit of a bit of a chuckle to myself. Firefighters faced burning gas cylinders and electrical dangers as well as the main fire, and it was dangerous and fires and dangerous, and that's what fireys do. You know, mm. they go out and put fires out, and things happen. Yep. I don't know. Anyway, a bit of a beat up from from some of our uh, trucking media colleagues. But uh, Kulak uh, was hot. I think Kulak is now cold, and I think the Kulak Service Centre will remain cold for some time. I think the next thing will happen there is you'll see some bulldozers. That's what will happen there, I'd say. Yeah, They'll rebuild that, you reckon? I don't know. I don't know if they'll rebuild it because... Uh, Let's face it, the, uh, the the way it was being run, I, I, I went in there a couple of times out of idle curiosity just to see what it was like. Hmm. And it started off with much fanfare and it was all right at the start, but it went downhill fairly quickly. Hmm. Um, obviously, uh, at a place like... What, after you went in? Yeah, after I went in, the, the service standards went down and... <laughs> fell to bits. Know, <laughs> basically fell to bits. I don't take any blame for that. I don't take any responsibility. No, nor should uh, you. No, should, nor should I. But, I mean, when you build something like that, these places have to be properly staffed. And, mm. look, I, I, I maintain that if you had a roadhouse that served good quality food to, to truck drivers who had good parking and good access, and which this place had, had good access and, and you know, good facilities when it started, but they weren't maintained and the restaurant went downhill. I had two toasted sandwiches there, I recall. And I swear to God, mate, you know I can eat. And I left one of them behind because it was just terrible. Mm. And it's a toasted sandwich. How do you muck up a toasted sandwich? It's not easy. It's not easy to muck up a toasted sandwich. And, I, you know, number of drivers that I heard uh, talking about this on the UHF after it had happened, uh, suggesting that uh, perhaps uh, 
wiping the slate clean and restarting wouldn't have been a bad thing. But, you know, I maintain that if you had all those things on a roadhouse, and, you know, the pavement out the back, for example, uh, not like driving on the surface of the moon, yeah, uh, would be would be would be a, a good thing. Anyway, that's that. Coolac is now cold and should remain that way for some time to come. Yeah, well, mate, if you had a servo that was well built and well maintained and well staffed, you wouldn't be able to use it to be in a museum somewhere. Well, that's right. I remember what they used to be like, mum yeah. and dad servos, and places we used to go in where the the staff actually knew your name. Yep. And, uh, you know, there was a place that Rose and I used to go to uh, on the way to Western Australia at Cocklebiddy. Mm. And as they they knew what our order was going to be for Wednesday breakfast every day. Every day we were in there for Wednesday when we, Rose and I were running the paddock. And it was, it was like just visiting family. Yeah. And that's the way it used to be. It was part of the part of the fabric of what we did and so much has changed and I think we've lost a little bit in the change but anyway. oh I think so too mate back in our days you'd roll into the servo and they'd do everything for you mm, yep water your horses and yeah <laughs> 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 uh, among other things among other among things. other things yeah well, Mike, after our story last week about thefts from rest areas and service centres, it would appear these well-organised trailer break-ins are continuing across New South Wales, according to Road Freight New South Wales CEO, our mate Simon O'Hara. Simon, I tell you what, he's on he's onto it, isn't he? Mm. It basically, he says here that like, they do come in the middle of the night with a small truck or van, and they basically help themselves to whatever they want, etc., etc. Yep. And, uh, of course, you don't know what's going on. I'm a little bit disappointed how some of this happens. We don't seem as though we keep an eye on each other anymore. Mm. We, don't, we don't seem as though we, we are watching out for our mates. Uh, Simon's called them brazen thieves, have been known to put the flaps and, uh, and strapping back correctly. Uh, and the theft only becoming apparent after the customer rushes with the freight operator, why cartons are missing from the delivery. Yeah. Um, you know. They're, so they're stealing stuff out of trailers. They're stealing freight. They're stealing whatever they can, whatever's not nailed down. Yeah. I mean, I I had a I had curtains cut on a taut liner at Goulburn uh, a few years ago. Mm. So they walk along with a bloody box cutter and just cut the curtain and have a bit of a look in there and see what you've got. And if it's something worth nicking, then they'll be they'll be in there all the time. Yeah, I know guys now that leave the back doors of their vans and their tort liners open when they're empty, so that they don't get their curtains in that tut cut. Mm. Because the thieves do more damage than what they take. It's just bloody ridiculous. And of course, if you go ahead and report that you've been robbed, the police are too busy to deal with that. You know, they'll make a report over the phone, and that's the end of it. It seems to be. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be some real policing going on. They've been notified about things and. Of course, now the operators have got the added expense of trying to somehow or another work out anti-theft measures to curb what's going on. I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to say to people. It's becoming apparent that society is going a very different direction to what we would like. The cost of living pressures, etc., are causing people to do things that they, they wouldn't do. And I'm not saying these people aren't just criminals doing the wrong thing because they're criminals doing the wrong thing. There's a certain element of that as well. Mm. Uh, but you have to wonder how it is that we get these people that just prey on 
uh, ordinary everyday people that are going about their lives trying to make a quid. Bloody ridiculous. And it is, mate. Perhaps we need to go back to the good old days where every truckie drove around with a big old black Rottweiler called Satan that used mm. to sleep on a long chain under the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, or be able to defend themselves without getting into trouble. Mm. Now, a few more, a few more uh, robust conversations between the trailers with some of these perpetrators might actually curb some of this stuff. I mean, I know it's a bit of a, uh, for the want of a better description, it's a medieval way of looking at it. Hmm. But sometimes, sometimes this is the only level of communication some of these fools understand. Yeah, you know, you see them roving around. I mean, diesel is over two dollars twenty a litre at the moment. Yeah, and it doesn't take very much for someone with a van with a couple of forty fours and a bit of a quiet electric pump hmm. to pull up, pull up beside someone while he's sleeping, quickly undo the cap, and pump a few hundred litres of, of diesel, and it's just a huge loss. It's, if they're good enough to actually pump it out and not punch a hole in the tank. Well, there's that too. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and, and you talk about lockable fuel caps and all the rest of it. Well, you know, nothing that a good set of Stilsons can't overcome. Yeah, locks only keep the honest people out. Yep. That's right. And, I mean, we've got to, as an industry, I suppose, we've got to do some something about this. But we've also got to have a look at what's happening. And what amazes me, what, what beggars belief for me, is that uh, there are opportunities uh, for secure parking, mm. and yet people continue to say to pay 150 bucks to park your truck uh, in a secure place uh, for you know, the weekly rental of a secure parking place yep. in some in the capital city. Well, up in Brisbane, I know this one exists up there. We talked about mm. uh, people say, "Oh, that's too much. I can't afford that." If you can't afford 150 bucks to park your truck securely and protect your vehicle and its freight. Yeah. Then what are you really doing? You've mm. got to ask yourself questions. Anyway, Indeed. mate, that's that's it. That's all I got on that one. Fair enough. We're done. We're done. No breaking Anything? news this week. No, no, no. No, no breaking, breaking news. news. No, nothing oh, this there week. There you go. No, no. I'm sure we'll survive without your sound effects for one week. Oh, well, there you go. Indeed. Well, your thought for the week, Mike. Thank you. If you think your boss is stupid, remember you probably wouldn't have a job if he was any smarter. <laughs> you were one of his choices, you reckon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's something in that for all of us, mate. <laughs> I think there is. See you in the seat, buddy. Good on you, mate. See you. Hi there, this is Bob McMillan. <clears throat> As an industry, we uh, often pat ourselves on the back that uh, for 80% of the incidents and accidents that heavy vehicles are involved in, the heavy vehicle's not at fault. Well, that's fair enough, but uh, I'm becoming in a little bit troubled about the 20% that the industry is at fault for. And uh, it's becoming more spectacular, more... Uh, inexplicable and um, it seems to be more negligent and um, avoidable. There's so much going on here. Uh, they say there's a shortage of drivers. Well, as far as I can tell, there's only a shortage of professional drivers. They are very thin on the ground. Uh, what's prompted me today is uh, Big Rigs has come out with a story that was already in the Townsville Bulletin last week. Uh, a uh, 
64-year-old truck driver from Mackay has been jailed for, uh, hang on, how long has he been jailed for? Uh, three years in prison, suspended after 12 months for taking out a good mate of mine and a lot of other people up north by the name of Steve Bowen. Rest in peace, Steve. I was lucky enough to have a copy with Steve and another mate on the strand only eight or nine days before the tragedy. And uh, we're still all speechless about it. It's just totally unnecessary. The 64-year-old driver coming into Townsville, which hazardous enough coming into Townsville from the south anyway, especially at that time of the day. And here's this bloke texting and carrying on on his phone. He's old enough to know better. And it's inexcusable. And what's got me absolutely buggered, he would have got a longer sentence for bloody trying to rip off the Australian tax office than he got for taking out a good mate of a lot of us. And I know he didn't do it deliberately, and I know he's probably wallowing in misery like you wouldn't believe. But it's a bit late now, old mate. You should have left the bloody phone in the console to start with. Or got yourself a hands-free kit and bloody talked on it. Or just left the bloody phone alone. Anyway, and he's not the only one. Some bloke in, in a rigid, I think it was, in Pasco Vale, takes out a young school teacher on her way to work, texting. No, he wasn't texting. He was watching a movie on Netflix. Like, what a loser. Takes out a 24-year-old young school teacher just innocently on her way to work. I've got two school teachers in my family and they're the salt of the earth people to even take the job on in the first place. They deserve to be able to drive to bloody work safely and come back again, not be held at ransom or, or, or have their lives at risk because some clown wants to bloody watch a movie instead of concentrate on his driving. I used to leave Cardwell at home to go to Perth and I wouldn't even turn the radio on from Perth to... to from. Um, Innisfail to Perth, sometimes I would, but very seldom would I because it took all my effort to focus on what I was doing and stay focused for that trip across from coast to coast. Some people can do it with music in the background, some people can't, but mucking around with phones, texting and doing all that other crap, bloody watching movies or whatever. There's another one the other day... Uh, there's been a number where, where drivers have been jailed for two or three years for being on their phone when they've taken out innocent people. And, of course, then we saw the thing in, in, in Cow Pasture Road the other day where this cab over tapped the back of a car. To my... I just cannot believe what happened after that. The lady in the car, was she had a son with his L plate to take, you know, giving him some hours getting to work. The cab over with a, a, a trailer only on it, tapped the car. What does he do? He drives off 150 metres down the road before he stops. In the process, he ran over the young boy's mother and killed her. Now, what was it that possessed him to move? Like, he's obviously, he must have known he tapped something. What was it that stopped him from throwing on the hazards, throwing on the bloody maxis and jumping out to see what the problem was? Was he too lazy? Was he on the phone? Was he worried about his logbook? Was he that poorly trained that he didn't understand danger when he was in the middle of it? I, I can't answer these questions because they're just totally beyond me. I grew up in a different world to all these uh, 
modern-day truck drivers, but why you would be in an incident like that and then drive 150 metres down the road without checking into it first is beyond me, and I think it's totally negligent. And, uh, you know, if the bloke's got a valid excuse, fair enough. But it doesn't change the fact that you've got all these people bringing the industry into disrepute for the 20% of the accidents that we are responsible for, and they're getting sentences that are just a joke. Honestly, if you cheat the tax office or if you steal from someone, you get a longer sentence than these people are getting for causing death and mayhem on our roads because they're part of the 20% of the industry that don't give a tuppany damn. Wake up to yourself, you blokes. We need 98% of the accidents, not our fault, not 80. And it's about time someone bloody woke up to the fact and did something about it. Thanks for listening. To take us out of the show this week, it's Tim Friedman and the Whitlam's Black Stump Band with their brand new remake of the Whitlam's classic, No Aphrodisiac. A letter to you on a cassette Cause we don't write anymore Gotta make it up quickly There's people asleep on the second floor There's no aphrodisiac like loneliness Truth, beauty, and a picture of you You'll be walking your dog in a few hours I'll be asleep in my brother's house You're a thousand miles away With food between your teeth Come up for summer I got a place near the beach There's room for your dog There's no aphrodisiac Like loneliness Truth, beauty And a picture of you Like loneliness, truth, youth, beauty, fame, boredom, and a bottle of pills. There's no aphrodisiac like loneliness. You shouldn't leave.
On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Mm-hmm.